Um, I'm going to jump straight in. I have a bunch of scriptures to read. I believe I have a message for us this morning. And um, I want to start, I'll give a disclaimer. I'm going to start by talking about sports, okay, just for a couple of minutes. If you're not into sports, please don't turn off. I promise you it's relevant. Um, Jonathan last week talked about it, the Toronto Raptors winning the NBA Finals, the championships, right? I was glad about that. It was awesome. I don't like the arrogant Golden State Warriors, so I was very much rooting for the Raptors. Um, and it was great that, you know, the Canadians finally had something to celebrate. And <clears throat> but wasn't it, I don't know, it was, it was awesome. Like, all of the Canadians came out of the woodwork, like, you know, these, they became hardcore NBA basketball fans. They hadn't watched a game in 17 years, and they didn't know anyone who was playing, but it's hashtag We the North, the parading the streets. It was awesome. But um, I was watching it live, and, you know, the final buzzer goes, and Toronto were crowned champions, and these, all of these amazing scenes of celebration, and they get the trophy and the champagne everywhere, and they've got their caps on, and, and their championship rings, and it's just, it's amazing. It's like you want to be there amongst it all. And it's in that scene that something really weird begins to happen. In that picture of a team celebrating their victory, one player is taken from the team and he's taken to one side and he gets given a trophy. And that trophy is called the MVP. That means the most valuable player. In other words, the team has just secured victory but out of that team, we're going to separate out one of you and we're going to elevate one of you above the rest and we're going to crown you and we're going to say you're better than the rest, right? There's something about, there's something about us as human beings that wants to elevate others above ourselves. There's something within us that becomes obsessed with elevating others above others, right? And it's not just in basketball, it's, it's in every different sport, you know, you can take it and we have conversations about who's the greatest of all time, who's the GOAT, Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, Rafael Nadal, Lionel Messi, all the GOATs. <clears throat> but, the, <laughs> but there seems to be this kind of obsession, right, of like, it's even in Hollywood and entertainment and the Oscars and the greatest actor and the greatest actress and the greatest movie. And it's like this thing of like this compulsion to like this celebrity thing, this hierarchy thing, this elevation thing, this pedestal that we look at the community of humanity and we begin to separate out and divide and elevate and put as priority as more important and more valuable and more worthy than some of the rest of us. This is the celebrity culture, right? And um, there's something about, I think there's something about celebrity culture that really hits it, there's, there's something broken within our soul that looks at the life of another and longs to live that life. And when we, we long to live the life of another when we haven't truly realized that the value and worth of our own life in the eyes of God. And I think that's what's happening. And I want to share a message this morning called God's MVP. God's most valuable player. And here's the spoiler. God's MVP is looking back at you every morning in the bathroom mirror. 
every single one of you is God's most valuable player, right? And, you know, I'd love to say that it was just the world who operates in this, but we know that it's not. And I actually want to read some scriptures. It's happening right here in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is writing. He's planted a church in Corinth in Greece. It's amongst pagans. Uh, they don't know God. They are fresh, new believers. And he plants a church, and there's all types of stuff going on. Um, I've got an echo here. I, I don't know if we can adjust that. <clears throat> there's all types of stuff going on in this community, and um, what I actually love, and this is not my message, but I can't go on without just saying it because it's so cool. He's writing a letter of correction to a church, but he begins by saying this. To the church in Corinth, those who are sanctified in the Lord Jesus, called to be holy. Those who have been placed within Christ Jesus. And he begins to bestow upon them this heavenly identity according to how God sees them. That you are sanctified, that you are holy, that you are chosen, that you've been set apart, that you're in Christ. And then he spends the rest of the letter <laughs> rebuking all of their junk. But he does it upon the foundation of first bestowing upon them their true identity, right? And um, so he kicks in, verse 12, um, he's already said to them, look, he says, I got this report, I got this letter from Chloe, she's a member of your community, and she wrote this letter to me, and she's telling me what's going on, and from what I hear, there's all types of quarreling and jealousy and division amongst you. And he says in verse 12, this is what I mean. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Peter. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can boast that they were baptized in my name. What seems to be going on in this church is that they're arguing over who baptized who and therefore who was more important than the other. Well, I was baptized by the Apostle Paul, which means I'm more special than the rest of you. Well, no, no, no. I was baptized by Apollos, and he's better than Paul, so I'm even better than you. Do you know what the modern-day equivalent of that is? <laughs> well, David Wagner prophesied over me. <laughs> and Heidi Baker laid hands upon me. And Bill Johnson encouraged me and gave me a word of knowledge. And it's like there's this thing in us. It's like it's not just the world, but there's something within us that seems to be fascinated with people and with leaders and with those we perceive to be more important than others. He continues. Chapter 3, verse 1, he's still talking about it. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I give you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready, for you are still worldly. Because there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Listen to this. Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Man, Paul is stern here. 
I think he's trying to drive something home. I think he's trying, to, he's trying to get at something fundamental within the fallen nature that is driven toward independence and is driven toward exalting others above ourselves, division and quarreling and jealousy and comparison. And he's saying, when you do that, you're acting like mere humans. The implication is that we are called as God's people to live high above that reality. That there's a reality and there's a psychology and there's an attitude and there's a worldview that we're to live in that is not obsessed with others, that's not obsessed with dividing, that's not obsessed with categorizing, that's not obsessed with saying you're more valuable, you're not, you're more important, you're not. So then, listen to this, no more boasting about human leaders. Man, this is the scriptures, not me. This is like 2,000 years ago. No more boasting about human leaders. No more creating MVPs for ourselves. All things are yours, he says. Paul, Apollos, Kephas, or the world, or life, or death, present and future, everything is yours. Why? Because you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. That everything that we need for life and godliness, everything that we need for identity, everything that we need according to our purpose and our mission and our destiny is found in Christ when we look at Christ, not when we look to others, not when we boast in others. He really drives this home and it's chapter four and he's still talking about it. Verse one, he says something like this. He's like, look guys, from now on, this is how you are to view the apostles. This is how you're to view your leaders. This is how you are to view and think of us. Listen to this. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. This is like gladiatorial language when they're led out to be martyred and persecuted. Paul's saying, that's how you're to view us. Don't elevate us. This is not how God views us. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty, and we are in rags, and we are brutally treated, and we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands, and when we are cursed, we bless, and when we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. This is how Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is viewing leaders in God's kingdom. He concludes by saying this, we have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of this world, even in this very moment. In the kingdom of God, the economy of value and worth is completely opposite to that of the world. That's what I get out of those chapters. You, as the world, as mere humans, have this proclivity to place value in a certain way. I have news for you, Paul is saying. That's not how God views it. It's the total opposite. It's an upside down kingdom. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. So rid yourselves of this tendency to begin to look left and right for another one, to honor and to celebrate from an unhealthy place of perhaps striving and craving to be someone who you're not. Within the kingdom of God, 
The economy of value and worth works in opposition to that of the world. Chapter 12, he's carrying on. They're still at it. (laughs) He begins to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and he's saying, basically, look, guys, there's one Spirit. All of the gifts come through the one Spirit. What was happening? Some of them had the gift of healing and were getting all puffed up, Some of them had the gift of knowledge and were getting all puffed up and they were dividing and they were arguing and then they were quarreling and they were saying who's more important and it's still rampant throughout the whole thing. Like it seems to be at the front and center of this community is just all of this, all of this division and separation and elevation of one another over another. He says you're not to be like that. He says you're one body in many parts. Verse 12, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Wow. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we must treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, are treated with modesty, and while the presentable parts need no special treatment, for God has put the whole body together, listen to this, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it, and if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What's going on here? I think he's addressing this mindset that we have, even in the church, that would say there are some things that go on in the church that are more important than others, right? Some might think that what I'm doing right now is more important than what the camera guy is doing to what the sound engineer is doing, to what the people in the coffee shop are doing, to what the people who clean the platform are. There's something within us that wants to elevate certain functions and roles and parts in the body above another. And it's my burden, and I believe it's God's burden, that we would completely rid ourselves of a mindset that places more value over some things than the other, especially within the body of Christ. Right? And... I'd love to be able to say that, you know, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, we got it figured out, now we have the scriptures, now we're running ahead with it, and it's just simply not the case. <laughs> In 1517, Martin Luther, the great reformer, um, he began to protest against the Catholic Church, he was a Catholic monk, he was a minister, and at the time there was only one church in the West, and Martin Luther was a monk within that church, but one day he was reading the scriptures and he began to get a bunch of revelation about the corruption within the church, some heresies that were going on, and God really began to bring revelation to him about a certain direction that the, port, that the church should be heading in, um, which we now call the Protestant Reformation. And one of the doctrines that he began to preach right in those early days was a doctrine called the priesthood of all believers, the universal priesthood. What did he mean by that? Well, he was speaking into a church culture which said this. There are two groups of people within the church. There is a spiritual group and there's a secular group. 
And those of the spiritual group are chosen out of, this, out of the secular group into a place of elevation where they now begin to preside over the others. We call that the priesthood, the sacrament of holy orders, the belief that many are called but few are chosen, and that when you receive the sacrament, what you're saying is that God has chosen you to be elevated out of the rest to become a priest, but more importantly, the function of that priest was twofold. One, the, the secular state could only relate to God through the priest, but more importantly, God could only minister to his people through the priest, right? So you had, how many of you know that type of environment is just, it's, it's the essence of some are more valuable than others, right? And Luther rebelled against this. He protested against this and he began to preach, no, 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 no. We are all part of the priesthood. Neither, none of us need a mediator. None of us need to go to another man. None of us need to go to another leader. None of us need to go to anywhere. Every single one of us has access to God. But more importantly, every single one of us are invited into partnering with God for his mission and purpose to be accomplished upon the earth. That it's not just for the special priests. It's not just for those on the platform or the microphone or with a musical instrument. It's not just those who are pastor or evangelist or any other title that we bestow upon ourselves. It is for every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus, part of the family, part of the body, part of the building, part of the bride. If you're in Christ, you're included in this mission. You're included in the purposes of God. However, 500 years later, I think we're still, at the, we're still playing this game. I think there's something about what we've done, maybe as church leaders, that we've created an environment that has somehow elevated what I'm doing right here to be more valuable than what you do in the morning when you go to work. We have this language called calling. How many of you heard this? Oh, I was, I was, working, I was working in Wall Street, and then I was called. And then I was called into the ministry. Right? So we have this language of calling and ministry, but that language of calling and ministry only belongs to a certain group of people. That sounds like what Luther rebelled against. Right? And I'd love to be able to say that it wasn't prevalent in our churches today, but I just know it is because I hear it all the time in our language. Oh, I'm just, I'm in, I'm in, the, secular, I'm in the secular realm right now, but I know God's called me. Right? And one day, one day God's going to call me into something. I think what's going on there is that for whatever reason, we as the church have not bestowed enough value on every single one of you guys in what you are doing in your everyday life, in your vocation, in your spheres of influence, in your everyday going about your business and your family and your work. And for whatever reason, whether it's conscious or subconscious, we've created an environment where we're saying to be used by God, to be important in his mission, to do something that's worthy of him, you have to be doing this. And I don't think that's what God is saying at all. I believe he's saying that each and every single one of us are an MVP. I believe he would say, 
Every single one of us has a unique purpose, a unique calling. You're a unique solution to a unique problem. And that you are most valuable in this mission. And what I love about this scripture is that he begins to say, look, when one part suffers, we all suffer. I remember I broke my little toe once, which is seemingly insignificant, but it's not. Right? Who would have thought that something so small can create so much pain and just interruption with everyday life? You know, you're limping along and you can't put pressure on it. And after a few days, all of a sudden, the knee begins to hurt and then the hip. And now you're all out of whack. And I'm just walking all funny and I look funny and I'm limping. What's happening? I break my little toe, but my entire body begins to compensate for something that's out of line. And Paul is saying this exactly. We need every single one of us to begin to recognize your value so that you can begin to engage with your purpose as part of the wider body, the wider plan, the wider mission. Why? Because if you don't, we all suffer. The mission suffers. The whole thing is affected. Right? Sticking with Corinthians. Paul's still on about this stuff. I'm going to go into 2 5. 2 Corinthians 5 17. He says this Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, is the important word, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Who was he given the ministry of reconciliation to? Us. Who's us? All who are in Christ. Right. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. I want everyone to repeat after me. I am a minister on mission with a message. Come on. I'm not, the, I'm not the minister on mission with a message here. We all are. And for too long, the only ministers who have been allowed to have a message is the ones with the microphone. But Ephesians 4 tells us that the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher were given so that the body of Christ might be equipped for the work of the ministry. The body of Christ. Not the 1% or the 2% who are called to do this. We know those who are called to this based upon, we know what their destiny is. We know how we should view us. Paul's just said it. Scum of the earth. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Thanks, God. <laughs> No, all of the value is on the body of Christ. It's on the 99% of the church. The purpose is that you might be equipped and empowered and inspired and come into realization that you are called by God to do something special upon the earth. And it's probably not going to involve a microphone. I don't know if I can labor this point enough. I like what Paul says in Colossians 1.20 also. 
speaking of this language, he's speaking the same thing, but he adds this extra bit in. For God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the cosmos, the world, to himself. And then he makes this statement, for everything in the heavens and everything upon the earth. God's mission of reconciliation is not just about human souls, but it's about the entire thing. Like the entire universe. Like the heavens, the earth, the creation. I believe this is why in Romans 8 when he says that, um, you know, creation itself groans in anticipation for the revelation of the sons of God. Why would creation be groaning? Because in Genesis 1, God gives humanity a mandate to subdue and steward the earth under wise and faithful stewardship according to God. And when Adam fell, guess what fell with him? Everything that he was put in dominion over. My point is this. Whatever your interest, whatever your passion, whatever you feel called to, it's included in the mission. No matter where you are, no matter what people, I love Revelation 5. It says, he is worthy because he was slain. And by his blood, he has purchased men from every tribe and people and language and nation. And he has made them to be a kingdom and priests that serve our God. Everything. Nothing is off limits. Nothing that you're called to, nothing, every single facet of society and creation and the cosmos is included in this mission, in this message, the message of reconciliation. Paul finishes 2.5 by saying this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Wow. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're an ambassador. What's an ambassador? Well, in Paul's time, an ambassador had very specific connotations. It was a Roman term, and an ambassador was one who was raised in Rome, one who embodied the culture and values of Rome, but was then sent out to various cities throughout the Mediterranean as the kingdom of Rome advanced throughout the earth. Ambassadors were sent from Rome who embodied the culture of where they came from in order to impart and begin to shape and reform all of the cities on the neighboring parts of the kingdom so that it began to look like Rome. That's the language that Paul is using. So what's he saying? He says, you guys are all ambassadors. You're a minister, you're on mission, you've got a message, and your entire purpose is to embody the values of the kingdom of God that you were born in and then begin to administer those values everywhere you go so that the culture of the kingdom of God might spread to the ends of the earth. No one's excluded. We almost play our part. The mission of God is the reconciliation of all creation, every facet of it, it's an all-inclusive mission, and it's all hands on deck. You are a unique solution to a unique problem. And the sooner you get into touch with that, 
I tell you the first thing to go. The first thing to go when you get in touch with the mission of God according to your true purpose is that you stop looking at everyone else. Ephesians 2.10 says that you were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that have been prepared beforehand for you to do. This is not random. We don't get to choose this. The Bible says that he fashioned you, that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that your skills, abilities, talents, passions, that everything you've got is not by mistake, that you've been created for unique purpose, and that purpose is for the works of service. Come on. And it was long before you were born. It's from eternity that God has ordained you to walk in this stuff. And the second we get in touch with that, it's all of a sudden you just, you become laser focused. And I'm not looking, I'm not comparing myself as a preacher to this person. I'm not comparing myself as a musician to that. I'm not wrestling and quarreling and I'm not, I'm not getting into all of the stuff that they were into at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. I'm not acting like a mere human I'm acting like a son of God. Come on. Okay, I want to honor some folks. Katie Mansell, I don't think she's here this morning. Her and her husband Dave run a uh, hair studio in Durham. It's called Culture. Katie is a kind of world-renowned hairstylist. She travels all over the world. London and Paris and New York and she's styling hair for fashion shows and and um, she posted something on Facebook just a couple of weeks ago. And because I'm thinking about this message, my radar was open. It just leapt out at me. And it's almost like it just, it, it perfectly describes what I'm talking about. And she begins to write in this letter. It's a handwritten letter to her friend from the high school. And she's kind of filling her in. She's saying, look, I'm in hair school now and it's going amazing. And I've been here five months and I've got another five to go. And I'm getting, you know, they're letting me loose on people's hair. And it's really cool. And I can't wait. And I'm hoping for an internship. And everything's going awesome and then she makes this statement he has given me such joy and excitement in this <sighs> wow <laughs> that's calling that's ministry that's a mission that's a message when I read it, I was reminded of Roger Bannister, who was the first man to run a four-minute mile. The movie Chariots of Fire is about his life, and, you know, his famous quote is this. He says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. <laughs> Are you telling me that Roger Bannister, that God did not create Roger Bannister and fashioned his muscle fibers and his tendons and his body frame and everything? To be the first man to run a four-minute mile, to be the fastest human being on the planet? Are you telling me that's not God? I know it's God because he says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. That the Spirit of God is on me. <laughs> and he didn't have a microphone when he was doing it. And he wasn't on a platform inside of the four walls of the church. He was out there fulfilling his purpose and his mission and his calling to do something in the creation. So Katie Mansell is a minister on mission with a message. You know, my modeling days are over. I can't be in New York. I'm not in Paris. I can't do that anymore. So my days are over. But someone needs to go. 
<laughs> so Katie's going into areas where, look, none of us are called to, right? Are you thankful that she's a part of the body that is called into something that the rest of us are not? Because the mission of God is all-inclusive and every facet of our society is included in it. My favorite, I don't know if he's still here. Who knows Lee Zook? What a legend. Man, if there's anyone who's, in a, who's the epitome of what I just described in 1 Corinthians 12, about those who are hidden and those who are presentable and some are deserving of more honor than others. And Paul said, look, these guys up here, we don't need no honor. But there's parts of your community who are deserving special honor. Lee Zook is one of those people. Can we give Lee... I don't know if he's here. Let's just give him, let's just honor him. Come on. Come on, Lee. Lee Lee's the maintenance guy here. Just, you know, everything that you see, he's just, he's got a hand in it and just, we can come in and not think about anything because of Lee and his team and others. But there's something about Lee that's even better. And if you didn't know, well, if you've met Lee and you've talked to him for more than 30 seconds, and you're going to know this about him. Because he preaches with an evangelist enthusiasm about one of his hobbies of tractor pulling. Who knows this about Lee? Tractor pulling. Right. So he's just telling me a couple of weeks ago he was in Wisconsin, and then he's going to Hawaii. Oh, was it Hawaii, Ohio? He's traveling around the country and he goes to these tractor meetups, right? And he, there's these conferences and there's these gatherings where these farmers bring their tractors, they build these big engines, and then they have a competition about who can pull the most amount of weight in the quickest amount of time. This is a sport, it's a hobby, it's a pastime, and it's seemingly there's thousands of people interested in it. I know nothing about it. I'm not called to meet those people. the chances are no one else is in this room right now. But Lee has such a passion for it. And I love it. I love it when he talks about it. He gets so excited. The pleasure of God. He's got all of the analogies and the spiritual truths about the engine and the combustion and the spirit and the whole deal. Man, he's preaching. The ministry of reconciliation through his hobby and passion. Come on. Tractor pulling. What's my point? Nothing is excluded from this thing. I don't care what your passion is, what your, what your desire is, what your gifting is, everyone plays a part in this mission. What is the mission? The mission is to disciple nations. The Bible's clear about that. And, you know, one of, I think, the greatest well, let me just say this. I want to honor all of the mothers. I want to honor motherhood. I want to, there's, there's something about motherhood and the God-giving calling to nurse and to nurture and to protect and to raise the entirety of the next generation of humanity. And now, I'm not saying that, you know, dads can stay at home and it's all of that, but there's something unique about a woman's capacity to nurse and to nurture and to raise. That 
is the absolute language of discipleship. And we know that the mission of God ultimately in Matthew 28 is to disciple nations. And I say that because so often I can hear, well, I'm just at home with the kids. What good can I do for God? Right? Like I'm not making it, like you know what I'm talking about here. How easy this thought comes in the heart of a mum. What can I be doing for God? Where's my purpose? Where's my value? Where's my worth? Now I would actually say you're the MVP of all MVPs. You're the GOATs. You're the greatest of all time. Honestly. So I want to honor the mums. I want to honor motherhood. I want, to honor, I want to honor the calling, and I want, to, I want to honor the effects of that calling, and I want to honor the value of that calling in the mission of God. Okay, we're nearly done. I was reading a study a few weeks ago. It was a study on church growth. Some folks had went around thousands of churches, maybe 4,000 churches, and they began to, they were, they were studying and analyzing for church growth and the principles at work and what causes some churches to grow and not. But one of the startling statistics that I want to draw out is what they discovered was that in 50% of the churches, so in other words, in 4,000 churches they studied, there was 2,000 churches that had experienced growth, but none of that growth was attributed to new conversions. So there was no new believers. Their growth came from the migration of people from one church to another, right? And you could say that sheep sought after a different pasture to feed from for whatever reason. And as I read that, I, re I strongly felt in my spirit that God asked me this question. Do you want to be sheep without a shepherd or do you want to be fishes of men? Do you want to be sheep without a shepherd? And what is that language? What is the implication there? The implication there is that when sheep go from church to church looking for different pastures to feed upon, actually what we're doing is we're engaging in a consumer mentality, right? That we've been feasting on another pasture and then for whatever reason it's not quite as satisfying anymore. The music's too loud, the room's too dark, the seat's are not comfortable enough, there's not enough car parking spaces, the preaching's not good enough, too much Bible, too little Bible. And on and on and on and on it goes about the reasons why we leave some communities and go to others. And I believe God would say to us, are you ready to go from a consuming mentality to one who has been consumed by the mission. And those who are consumed by the mission become fishes of men. <laughs> and I had no idea Murray was going to talk about that on the intro. But I believe that we, when we all understand that we're MVPs and we take seriously the call to mission, and we come together and we begin to engage together and we quit the bickering and the, and, the, and, the, and the bickering and the jealousy and the division. And when we come together in unity, diversity in unity, 
every, all hands on deck, as fishes of men, we form a net. And that net is this body. And it's a net that God will usher in the waves filled with lost souls into our community. Matthew 28, disciple the nations. Could I get the, the piano guy up, please? Nathan, MVP, come on. Yeah. So I started in Toronto, I'm going to end in Toronto. <laughs> First, let me say this. Matthew 28, disciple the nations. Go, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But then he says this, but don't go anywhere until he has come. Right? This is Jesus talking to a bunch of guys who have spent 24-7 with him for the past three years. And Jesus is saying it's not enough. It's not enough that you attended the greatest ministry school that has ever been invented. And 12 guys got to go through it. And at the end of which they graduate and Jesus says, still not enough, you're gonna need someone else. <laughs> you're gonna need the great Holy Ghost. You're gonna need the spirit. You're gonna need the paraclete. You're gonna need the advocate. You're gonna need my spirit who is now not contained within one body the spirit who is at work in all of us who unites us and you see you've got to wait for him to come you see it's one thing for me to stand here and to inspire you that's my goal is to impart value on you so that you begin to take seriously the call of God that is upon your life and it's one thing for me to do that but it's an entirely different thing for you to actually go and do it and the truth is we can't do it by ourselves we need Him. We need the Holy Spirit. And so I was in Toronto when I was 19. This was before I was a believer. And we pulled up, you know, we, we went to visit Niagara Falls and we eventually caught a space, but it was like miles down the road. And it was a beautiful, it was a summer's day, it was beautiful. Blue skies, sun shining, and we're walking down toward where the falls are. And all of a sudden it began to rain. But it felt really good because it was like we're boiling and we're sweating and all the rest of it. And it was just this gentle haze of just this very light rain just began to kind of refresh. And it just felt really good. I'm like, whoa, it's raining. It actually feels really good. And the guy who we were with, who was a resident of Toronto, said, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not raining. That's the effect of the waterfall two miles down the road. There is an event happening two miles down the road that is having such an impact that it's beginning to change the atmosphere for miles around. And it was several years later that God began to show me that image. He said, Michael, this is the image of the river of God that flows within the people of God. That an event, that the river of the Holy Spirit would crash through us with such intensity and aggression and force and power and might that it is unstoppable, that it begins to cascade and crash through our souls to such a degree 
but the very atmosphere around us begins to be shifted. It wasn't Peter's shadow that healed him. It wasn't his shadow. It was the river at work within Peter that was crashing through his soul and pouring out into the natural realm around him. And we can talk about strategies and evangelism techniques and sharing your faith in the workplace and wherever you are, but one-on-one is that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. That we must be filled with such intensity of his river that we begin to impact the environment around us so that we too would become a refreshing breeze wherever we are, in our families, in our workplaces, in food line. My appeal this morning is very simple. I hope that every single one of us here is just saying yes to the mission of God right now. I really do. But my call is simple. Let us come and be filled with the Holy Spirit again. Because that's a daily encounter. It's not a one-time deal. We must daily be filled with the Spirit of God. That tomorrow morning when you wake up and you begin to look into that mirror and see God's MVP, invite the Holy Ghost. God, I'm ready to go. I'm stepping up to the plate. I'm ready for the mission. I'm ready to play my part. Come and fill me. So in these few moments, just come on down. We're going to pray. We're going to have some ministry time. Team, if you can come out. Just come and receive. Just come and posture your heart. Just be open. Jesus, we want to be filled again. Thank you that every single one of us, you have bestowed worth and value and uniqueness upon us. And God, we say yes to the mission. We say yes to the calling. We say yes to pursuing you in such a way that you can begin to teach us and show to us exactly what that is. But God, in this moment, we pray your spirit would come and fill us and baptize us and crash through us like a river we pray in the name of Jesus.